Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, we had a bit of a hiatus over, uh, you know, the winter break. Um, just so happened, you know, uh, I think what uh, Christmas Eve and uh, New Year's Eve both fell on a Tuesday. Otherwise, we uh, we probably would have had a show. Um, but we're back now, and we're going to try to jump right into a series of uh, talking tactics of all the different factions leading up to uh, Adepticon. Um, and then after we go through all the factions, we're going to go over, you know, probably deployments and other sort of, you know, other things that you might want to consider going into the tournament scene that might help you. Um, we're going to try to break down, you know, what will be good for the, that we've encountered so far for the 1.5. Um, but as always, I'm going to try to give you a rundown of what the show kind of offers. Um, we do this show live so that way we can kind of take on callers and, you know, uh, let you guys kind of weigh in once we start having more uh, well-known guests on, either if they're CMON or other content creators. Um, the show will also be, um, you'll be able to listen to the show after the fact as well. So it kind of has the same um, benefits as a podcast with the added benefit of being live. Um, that and you kind of get all of our takes, you know, as is. Uh, there's no real way to edit it if you're listening to live, and I don't even know if we can edit it after the fact. I'm sure there's a way, but um, if you can, give this sh uh, show, you know, a share. You know, that's going to be the best way to get the word out so people kind of know that uh, we do the show. We do it every Tuesday with the exception of, you know, some holidays. Uh, we do it at 8 uh, p.m. Central Time. Um, I know that doesn't really work with a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, but that's also why we have the option for the recorded. Um, today, we're going to go over Starks, which is kind of like the hot like controversy because they are quite powerful right now. Um, but we're going to not only go over kind of what you would play if you were a Stark player going into the uh, tournament scene, but what you're going to want to do to, you know, to fight them, to be able to beat them, um, especially if you're in the boat that, you know, they might seem so powerful you don't know what to do. Like, you feel like you don't really have a good answer. And um, I think uh, there's definitely plenty of answers out there, and we'll go over some of them tonight. And uh, so, yeah, uh Without further ado, let's uh, get into the first thing on our list, which is, uh, I believe, um, let's see. First thing we're going to go over is Stark Control. Yep. So this is Brett here. Um, I'm just going to give a really quick um, recap of what what I am to understand is control. And, and when I refer to control, generally what I'm referring to, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can play a control style game. Uh, three NCUs is a very basic way of playing a control game because you're basically controlling and obligating your opponent to jump onto the tactics board and take some of the zones that they want because either they have three as well, or maybe they have two and then you've got three and you might end up getting stuck with a, a zone like the crown that's not going to do you any good. So in essence, they're controlling you to abandon the battlefield and play the tactics board first, even if it's not your best bet. Um, and a, a list with a whole bunch of activations is another style of control because you can basically sit back and wait for your opponent to make his moves, and then you can do what you need to do to them after they run out of activations. 
and it uh, essentially kind of controls them into uh, controls your opponent. That is into maybe making a move before his timing is right. So those are all just some basic ways of control. So when we talk about control, we don't necessarily mean um, always shutting abilities off and things of that nature. So Starks do have a number of ways to build some control lists. They can play a very high activation list. They've got Arya and Sansa at three points. And uh, Howland Reed is a very good NCU commander. His ability is really underrated. Minus one to hit is a very good way to cripple units. And uh, so they can run three NCUs pretty well. And then their Stark Sworn Swords at five points are debatably one of the best five-point units in the game. And then they have access to cutthroats as well. So it's really easy with the dogs being reduced to point to see eight, nine, ten, eleven activation Stark lists. And uh, they're not free folk. They, they can actually punch pretty hard. So it's, uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of options for them to do. Uh, a control style, and obviously they have access to neutral, so they can run Bruce and Walder as well. So they've just pretty much got a lot of things that they can do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would agree with you. As someone who plays Starks, uh, I definitely, for control, I definitely agree that Holland is uh, one, one of my favorites for playing a control list. Um, Catlin as well. Uh, probably those three. When I run them, I usually run those three together, uh, Sansa, Catelyn, and um, Holland. Uh, Holland just has – his cards are just a wide variety of different ways to control your opponent. Um, and he, he himself, when he influences, is also uh, a form of control, which is uh, super nice. And with Sansa, you're able to you know go back in your deck and just reuse things or get the right card at the right moment. Um, you know, it keeps everybody on edge, I think. I, I mean, opponents – I remember – I feel like when when the game first released, um, Sansa was a little – almost like under undervalued, I would say. Uh, everyone didn't really, like, find a whole lot of value in her. But as, as the game progressed and, you know, competitive scene got bigger, um, I think she's definitely someone that offers tons of control. And it's a really under – I think sometimes even underused, um, you know, NCU ability. Yeah, I mean, control is one of those things that you're not really going to see a lot of Stark players do. Um, and for those that uh, might face it, Starks um, with a control list, I mean, to be totally honest, I don't think you have a lot to fear uh, unless you underestimate it. Um, if you go in not giving it credit where credit's due, it will blindside you. But as long as you don't let that happen, a lot of times Starks won't have enough control that it's going to just dominate you the whole game. They're going to have to, it's usually going to have to be a mixture of con, like a good like presence of control mixed with some other play style. But um, yeah, Howland Reed, especially if you're going to take uh, Sansa for that uh, you know one time one time anytime ability um, for uh, some control there, uh, the multiple NCUs. Um, and then even if you're going to take Arya combined with uh, Sirio for that additional minus to hit, that can definitely add a lot of defensiveness and control um, to help, uh, you know, keep your opponent from doing what they want to do, especially if they're more of an aggressive list. 
um, you're really going to give them a hard time, um, especially if you're going to combine it with a bunch of like sworn swords or sorry, sworn shields uh, with their defensive abilities already. Um, it it'll just reinforce that. Uh, but overall, I think uh, control is something that Starks could definitely use a little more of. Uh, fortunately, there's a decent amount of control uh, for the in the neutral area, like with Walder um, and Varus and uh, Roos as a commander instead. Um, that will definitely give you, you know, some added control that Starks uh, a pure Stark list won't. Uh, won't have. Um, yeah. Uh, what uh, What do you think, uh, Justin? I don't think Starks needs more control. <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, every faction should have the ability to do everything, personally. Uh, obviously, they're going to have their specializations, and I think they should sprinkle in a little bit of everything, which from what was just discussed, I think that's exactly what the Starks do well, is they can sprinkle in lots of play styles. I think that's most appropriate. Focus a faction in a certain area, and then give them the ability to, with a great player, be able to do any other play style of greats. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's definitely not something that I hope, you know, Starks get, like, a ton of in the future to, like, be able to go, you know, super controlly. Um, it would just be nice to, you know, get another thing here or there that was Stark specific that was controlly, uh, so you wouldn't have to dip so much into the neutrals to get that feel with the Starks. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think out of all the different playstyles, control should probably be the weakest for the Starks, uh, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess, uh, I mean, we could probably go on to the next, uh, subject, um, which is Stark uh, Swarm. Um, I'm going to let uh, Brett, Brett uh, head this one off. Um, give us uh, your best swarmy Stark stuff. So, um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, they've got the five-point Sworn Swords, who are a really solid unit at five points. And then with the reduction to Brain and Hodor, and the reduction to Rickon and Osha, um, you can now squeeze wolves in your list a whole lot easier. Um, <clears throat> a list that I have run that I that I would consider a Stark Swarm list was uh, it was Sansa and Arya as the NCUs, and then I had Rob Stark as commander in a unit of Sworn Swords, and so I got Grey Wind there, and then it was Sworn Swords with uh, Bran and Hodor, Sworn Swords with Rickon and Osha. Sworn Swords with a Sworn Sword Captain just to get a little bit more punch. And then two regular vanilla units of uh, Cutthroats just as uh, so I could get a little bit of Vicious in the army and mix it up a little bit from the Sworn Swords and uh, get the potential for more vulnerable tokens. And that ended up being an 11 activation list. And while it might not seem that great, once you mix in uh, Arya's ability to pop at any time and set you up for a flank charge combined with uh, Sansa's ability to search the deck, possibly getting swift advance and essentially giving you two free maneuvers to start around. Uh, that list really does get around and uh, sticks around a little bit better than what you would think. And um, if you play the dog properly in, in terms of not just throwing them into the fray and letting them die and you kind of hold them back as a finishing unit, 
the list really, really, really rewards you. Um, it's actually really tough to get through. I think it's crazy that a faction, especially one like the Starks, can have 11 activations. I think that alone, well, well my experience playing is insane because I was just thinking most of my lists are like seven to eight. Obviously it's a little harder with neutrals, but God, having three more activations is nuts. The interesting thing is with the uh, Storm Crows uh, doing uh, a point reduction, you can actually um, you can actually squeeze a little bit more value in there. If you, you mean puppy limo get twelve. Yeah, I think you can get twelve. Yeah. That's so. like that's just I don't even know Every turn, I would just be watching my opponent do four more activations than me. Like, well, this sucks. It's very, it's very interesting. And like I said before, those aren't, uh, those aren't raiders. Those are Stark Sworn Swords. And with some of the combos that come in their deck, they're amazing. Thundering, readily access to vulnerable, um, vicious. Uh, I believe it's uh, Northern Ferocity can give you vicious if you're near death. But even if Stark Sworn Swords are near death, they have five attacks with critical blows, and they get Stark Fury without the penalty. So you just can't sleep on that list until you've, until you've uh, mitigated all the threats. And I'm not entirely sure that most lists can, can mitigate six real combat units uh, that the Starks have without paying a very, very, very steep price for that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Justin, Jose, if you remember, like, a while back, uh, you know, this was, I think, when Night's Watch were just coming out, you know, one of my biggest lists was just Roderick with nothing but Sworn Swords, and it did well. Like, it wasn't some powerhouse, but it it performed really well. Yeah. I do um, remember that a little bit. I, yeah, I know. I, I definitely remember that. That was, that, was, that was a scary list, man. I, every time we I play you, I'm like, oh, you're bringing your Roderick list or what? That was, a, that was definitely <laughs> a scary list, man. Um, but overall... Um, I think it's cool uh, that um, every just I mean just about every army can kind of they, there's more than one way to play it right like so like like we said earlier I I think it'd be kind of stale if it was one of those games where it was like oh you're playing Starks so you're obviously playing X way you know um, so I kind of like the fact that you know you can play a faction like Starks and do make a swarmy list or a control list or an aggressive list or what you know, you can run it a few different ways, and obviously it excels in certain areas over others. It's what it's meant to do, and that's fine. But I also find it rewarding when I build, you know, uh, like like a, like with you, for example, with your Roger list. I'm sure that felt like rewarding to build a swarm list for a faction that's not a swarm faction like the Free Folk, naturally. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sworn swords, you definitely can't sleep on, like Brett said. Uh, they have enough tools in their arsenal, you know, just in their unit itself. And then when you throw them in the Stark faction with the Stark attachments and the Stark uh, tactics cards that, you know, it can really put them up there with a lot of other armies, you know, more elite type units um, that don't have a lot of the offensive tools uh, that Starks have. But overall, I think uh, Swarm is definitely like a nice option uh, uh, for those listening. If you know, because most tournaments are always going to have the two list format. Uh, 
form is definitely a nice option to go with um, as like a second list. You could do it as your main list, but just know that you have the two lists that, you know, make one hoard uh, and try to cover your bases uh, with your second list. I usually try to go, my first list is like my powerhouse list that I'm comfortable with in, you know, 90% of the situations. And then my second yeah, list, I, I literally make it be to cover the other 10% that I'm not good with. Who was, uh, who was just talking? Oh, I just uh, I just made a comment. I said, yeah, your umber list. That's definitely yeah. Your he says powerhouse. Power, he definitely says umber. Powerhouse. Only say that like a hundred times. Well, I mean, yeah. when I say powerhouse, I'm I'm referring if I'm playing any faction. I consider like my first list like my powerhouse, and then my second list is always my cover bases, cover my weakness uh, list. So if I see you know that one mission or that one list that I just cannot deal with. It's like, oh, well, that's what my second list is for. But, um, so, uh, let's, we can go ahead and move on from there. Um, I'm going to start us off with uh, our next topic, which is uh, just attrition, which naturally for Starks, that's probably going to be your Tully. Um, now with, you know, Sworn Shields getting the point reduction, um, you can, and the addition of the Tully Cavaliers, you can really put, uh, you know, a really defensive, hard-to-kill list out there, especially you add in Tycho, you add in Eddard NCU, you add in Tully uh, Commander, and you have all this healing with all this high armor, and then the Stark Tactics deck, and then Stark Attachments to give you that offense, and you're really, you know, going to be able to, you know, kind of cover all your bases in the sense of you're going to be super defensive with a nice punch. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, Tully is definitely Brennan Tully. Um, not just to be clear, not the mounted version. He's probably my favorite star commander. Um, you know, as someone who tends to play more defensively, just in general war games. I mean, back when I played Warhammer, I was, you know, the OG dwarves, you know, I just, uh, you know, so I, I he fits my playstyle a lot. Um, definitely like whittling down your opponent. I mean, I know even um, I've been in a couple games with Justin, and and we've I mean they've held their own. The, the Tully Sworn Shield have held their own against uh, you know Flares, the Flaidmen, um, which is it, it's crazy. It's a big just stalemate there. Um, they're really defensive, like you said. And then if you mix in your list, you throw in you know a couple of umbers, a few other things. You have a pretty well-rounded list that's pretty self-sustainable as far as healing goes, especially when you combine with things like Eddard or like you said, Tycho. Um, that's definitely going to um, give you the, like I said, the, the tr tr uh, attrition list you're looking for. Um, and it's great in a tournament scene as well. And let's, let's not forget that uh, Tully himself giving his unit a sworn shield uh, stalwart is basically an extension on defense as well. So with the change to panic and panic being ever so scary now because you only need to fail by one to take two to four wounds, um, the fact that he gives his unit plus two morale is uh, is pretty incredible. <clears throat> um, and Sharks um, actually have a oh. lot of access to stalwart as well. I saw an interesting list that was uh, Tolian Sworn Shields and Brienne of Tarth in another unit of Sworn Shields, two Tully Cavs, and then um, 
Kaito and uh, at our NCU. So it's a ton of healing. And then once you factor in embolden, if you keep your bubble tight, it's a morale three, morale four army effectively. And that's just really, really tough. That's about as defensive as you can get. And then a three plus across the board. So pretty, pretty nasty. Also on top, like what makes him even more defensive, Brendan Tully takes Stark's natural offense ability and turns it into defense. I can't tell you how many times I've charged something in Brendan Tully's army and had separate charge, which when you're fighting Lannisters, that's all right, because you know it's there, you know it's coming, you can plan around it. For fighting Brendan Blackfish, if you have, haven't already used both of the separate charges, which for me as a neutral player means I've got two dead units, uh, <laughs> then I'm sitting there like, do I charge? It's an incredible deterrent. That it's it's really hard to fight that. Like charge something with cutthroats. Okay, this is a good idea. They haven't activated. Gonna have a good day. Unless separate charge, and then most of your units are dead. You swing back with a couple of dice, do virtually no damage, and then all of a sudden they get another attack on you. You lost an entire unit on your charging, basically, and it's devastating. <laughs> it happens yep. every time. You don't know when it's coming, and that's what makes Sansa even better. Because separate charge in that army is incredible. Not to mention his other cards certainly aren't bad. A little bit of healing there. And Brendan Blackfish healing every time something passes. It's inevitable pass panic check. Yep. Yeah, Sansa, Sansa, especially if you've already used it twice and you can go Mm -hmm. use Sansa to get out of the discard three times in a game, a lot of times that's going to be in itself the game changer. It's like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've marched 14 inches with a Rob Berserkers just for them to charge me. I play set for charge in the first round, and then I take the combat zone, and now I've just attacked them twice. Uh, And, you know, if I've, or if I, now that you draw your cards before you move, uh, or before you decide who goes first or second, and you draw that set for charge, and you know you can do that combo, like that little combo, you can purposely go second, knowing that you'll be able to march up, them charge you, you set for charge, you take the combat zone, and then you know you're going to start second turn, and combat zone, and then swing it. Not much can survive that many attacks from Berserkers. So, um, set for charge, definitely MVP of all three of uh, Blackfish's cards, and a huge reason why I started using him. Um, And, uh, yeah, Blackfish, definitely my favorite, uh, my favorite Stark commander, uh, second favorite commander in the whole game. Um, My least favorite commander. (laughs) Don't, Don't forget, don't forget. Tully Valor adding plus one to defense and auto passing the morale check, which automatically triggers an Eddard order if you have the Warden of the North in your army. So just it's a very good too. You fail a morale check. Yep. And you'll, you'll, you'll auto trigger Eddard and you'll auto trigger uh, Blackfish's other ability where you get a wound back right. for passing. And yep. um, if, it, you're, if you have Blackfish in, let's say, Great Axes, they're going up to a, you're going to a three up save. Uh, especially if you uh, charge them, hoping to do enough damage to really, you know, try to get them off the board before they start doing a ton of damage to you. You know, you're going to be able to set for charge, though it's not going to have all those bonuses uh, for the great axes. You'll still be able to do some damage, especially if you have, like, Northern Ferocity in your hand to give it Sundering, um, and then take the combat zone or something. Uh 
it's just it's an amazing card to either set for charge or Tully Valor on great axes, uh, depending on what your opponent's going to do to you. So, but uh, if you're facing that, um, I would suggest to anyone just keep that in mind. If you see a Stark player throw a unit at you willy-nilly, you know, just kind of up there, and you're like, what are they doing? Just 95% of the time, they have set for charge in their hand. So keep yeah, that I've never in mind. Asked that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you can, a good, I believe set for charge says from the front. So if you can, if you see a, a situation like that, try it. You know, if you can, take like uh, the free maneuver on the ta- tactic sport, get in their flank. And if you have like the next action, you can charge to their side and avoid that set for charge. Um, or, you know, if you have, if you're free folk or something and you have swift advance, you're another Stark player and you have swift advance, um, whatever it may be, just remember that it's only from the front uh, and there's ways around uh, if you know that they have Stark for charge. But, uh, yeah, we're going to move on. Um, I'm going to let Brett talk about uh, the Mysterious Prisoner. The Mysterious Prisoner. Is a very, very interesting attachment. Um, we're killing NCUs now. Um, now, in fairness, a mysterious prisoner can kill an NCU or an attachment. I think maybe in some situations, maybe you want to kill the commander like in Fire and Blood. But for the most part, I think you're going after an NCU. So the stipulation for doing that is killing the unit that you attach the mysterious prisoner to. Uh, and the Jockin is two points and does nothing other than attach that unit and then kill an attachment or an NCU if you destroy that unit. But with the Stark's ability to get across the table, uh, the Stark's ability to charge out of nowhere, as is implied by sudden charge, right? Am I right? Um, (laughs) They have a a very good chance of popping the unit that you put the mysterious prisoner in. And now this – has another element of that start control. It's a little subtle control, but let's say you are playing Fire and Blood, and let's say that their ground commander is in a unit that's maybe not the most defensive, might not be the best thing to put in snow vets, but maybe it's Gregor in a unit of Mountain's Men who are not the most defensive unit in the game. Maybe you put Jockin in that unit, and it perhaps deters the Lannister player from playing so aggressive with Gregor, because Gregor wants to charge, fight, kill right now, but if they know in the back of their head, man, if something goes wrong and I eat a flank charge and get popped, I'm going to lose Circe or I'm going to lose Tyrion, which is my card draw, or I'm going to lose uh, Walder Frey or whatever NCU they have. It's probably something they really can't afford to do. So that aspect of control, wherever you put Jockin, is going to make them probably play less aggressively with that unit. And uh, it's a gamble because a lot of the time they're not going to really let you get to that unit. But for two points, you might be essentially able to take them out of the game, which might be just as well anyway. So I think the, the Mysterious Prisoner is definitely a great attachment. It does mandate taking Arya, but she's really not a bad three-point NCU anyway, so it's not like she's terrible. So it's a little five-point combination there with Arya and, and Jockin, but it's definitely worth giving some thought to. And, uh, yeah, killing an NCU, I, I can't how huge that is. I lost Amon one game because uh, Shane actually killed my Sworn Brothers where he put Jockin, so it's definitely a thing. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, I uh, I don't I've never so again as a Stark player I've never used Jacken. I don't own him yet. Um, you know I've they he, the that box came out kind of close to when the you know the Baratheons came out and I've been trying to focus on them and um, but it, yeah on paper I mean he's he's great. Uh, I know Brett you said you you've had experience with him and it sounds like he does exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and I would agree. I think it is a form of control. I think. You know, it, it makes your opponent think twice about using a unit a certain way, um, like you said, because, you know, sometimes attachments uh, or, or commanders or anything of that nature may be worth you kind of keeping the unit around. Um, you know, you never you never know um, the situation you'll, you'll find yourself in where, the, like I said, the attachment will be more, more effective than, than um, just kind of like throwing a unit out there to sacrifice for for another part of the plan or something. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's definitely that was like the first thing I thought of when he came out or when he was previewed was just more control. Um, you know, you put him like Brett was saying in a super aggressive unit, and now they're you know, what good option do you have? You hold it back especially if it was an expensive unit, you know, uh, let's say warrior sons now with like, sell me, you know, you're looking at what that's 11 points that you just have to hold back or do you rush them in how you would want to because of, you know, they're how good they are or even Gregor in just about anything. Um, you do that and they're going, it's going to screw up their game plan. Like they, they have, more often than not, people will go into a game already having most of their game plans, their game plan set, because we've played and you know usually you've played enough games in general, let alone with the list that you're playing, that not much changes um, with how you play, um, and when you're thrown a curveball with uh, the prisoner or with Jackin you really have to start thinking about, you know, what you're going to do if you want to take that risk and just depends on the type of player you are. So if you're more, you know, gambly, you're going to do it. If not, you're probably just going to hang back. Um, Both have their advantages and disadvantages. So uh, for anyone out there that has not played with him yet, I suggest, you know, just trying a couple games. Uh, You would be surprised at, uh, the influence he'll have. Um, I would say uh, it's a lot more effective when you have two lists so you know um, if uh, using the list that you have him in will be worth it depending on the list that you see of your opponents because I believe the last uh, I heard uh, you get to see both your opponents' lists before you make a decision on your list is what I think I recall hearing from that, that's it was either correct. Michael or you, someone in Simon. It was someone uh, official that was talking about correct. it. That, that's the way it's played. That's the way it's played. Yeah, so you'll be able to see both their lists. So if you have him in just one list and you see that, let's say, I keep going back to this example, but I, I guarantee you there's way more examples out there. You see they have uh, an aggressive Lannister list and you know a not-so-aggressive one, maybe like a control list. You know, you you kind of have to take a gamble on whether or not you're going to want to, you know, 
be like, okay, I'll use it because I think he'll use the aggressive list and you'll be able to throw him on that Gregor unit or whatever unit. Um, it could backfire. They could pick like the control list, but you could get lucky and they could have two uh, lists where it'll come in handy. But it's it's always nice to have kind of these curve balls in like one list. I believe the last tournament I went to in down in Indy, I uh, just uh, for the heck of it, I ran Jack in NCU, um, and I I was kind of unsure of how he would perform. So I had him in one list, and I was like, okay, it's going to be based on what my opponent has, um, and we will, uh, you know, I'll go from there. But, uh, yeah, so if you haven't tried them, definitely try them out. Um, next, we're going to talk about uh, Roderick. No, one last point, uh, one, Dave, before oh, we move yeah, on. Go ahead. One last point, because I, we, maybe we're scaring everybody. There is a very hard counter to Jockin, and it is a very hard counter that is probably in a lot of lists anyway because he's badass. You can Walter Frey your own unit where Prisoner Jockin is if you know for sure that they're going to die, and you don't want to lose your NCU and your unit, you can Walter Frey your own unit, and, and just if you want to really draw some laughs or some, some bad looks from your opponent, take the last wound off your own unit with Walter Frey and remove Jockin first, and then they don't get to kill your NCU. It's, it's pretty funny. And that does exist. You can Walter your own unit. So there is a way. It's not the most ideal situation, but it's kind of a counter control to a control. Cause if you Walter Frey that unit and they're engaged with something that like great axes that have eight attacks and they're not going to allow saves, you know, that unit's going to die. You Walter them. And it's like, well, you're going to kill them this turn and not kill my NCU. <laughs> try to wait this out. What's it going to be? Yep. You know, so there, there is that counter does exist. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Um, it's, it's definitely one of those, situations where it's going to be rare, but keep it in the back of your mind because you never know when it might come in handy. Um, you play enough games, and it will, and it's going to save your butt one of these times. Um, yeah, uh, on to Roderick, uh, Denial. Um, so I'm going to ask Brett real quick before I dive too deep in this one. So what do you, exactly do you mean by Roderick Denial? Roderick Denial. Roderick, um, I'm just specifically going to talk about martial superiority, which is when, when everybody talks about Roderick, they, they generally want to talk about that card. So let's oh, okay. say, for example, that you've got Roderick leading an army, and he's got uh, a unit of great axes, which everybody is really afraid of right now, justifiably so. They're incredibly good. They're not as scary on the charge, but they are incredibly good on the swing back. So now you've got, let's say you've got a unit of Flademen, and you're, you're just licking your lips because you see that you've got this easy charge on great axis, and then he plays that card, and now you're swinging with six attack dice, and you don't have Vicious. You do still hand out the Panic Token, but you don't have Critical Blow, and you don't have Vicious. It's very unlikely that you're going to pop those great axes now, and you've just been Roderick. It's even worse if you're Lance Cavalry, because now you're down to four attacks, and that's <laughs> absolutely terrible. Now, and if that yeah. happens to be Bran and Hodor, Great Axes, which a lot of people run, you can play Martial Superiority and Hodor's one-time order and drop that Lance Cavalry down to two attacks and a Disordered Charge. They're not – they're just going to bounce right off you, and then you're probably popping them for eight attacks that hit on two. So that is the – that's the Roderick Nope zone is that card. 
but also okay. his, his other card, which is now easier to trigger. When you target a vulnerable enemy, they can't play tactics cards or use orders. That is going to put the hurting on a lot of units that depend on tactics cards and orders. If you charge Jon Snow veterans, they can't counterattack you. Jon Snow can't trigger his order to heal. Uh, Jon Snow can't play um, Shield of the Realms of Men to block some of those hits and then have that a card attached. Uh, because you can't don't call forget, Shield of the Realms of Men and counterattack at the same time. Yeah, so, don't forget just like half of the Baratheon deck will also yeah, be in the void. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so now that Roderick has marked target, which we all know is a great ability from Ranger Trackers, it's going to be very easy to make that a vulnerable enemy that you're targeting. And then you're going to shut off. It's basically like a second winner is coming in a way. But he's got two of those and two winners coming. But Roderick doesn't need to charge to play that card. So it's kind of like a better winner is coming in a way. <laughs> I yeah, played this my, uh, Roderick. It's actually very nasty. It's like low key, really nasty. So that's what I mean by the, Rod- my, the Roderick denial, the nope zone. No, I got you now. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, my absolute favorite thing about shutting off someone's tactics cards um, is just their when a unit dies cards. Just, you know, too many of them do so many powerful things that after your own unit dies, and that especially if you can pile those cards in their hand when they're like, oh, I'm going to play it. Uh, crap, now I can't play it. Uh, okay, this unit's about to die. Okay, I can finally play it. If you do it again, they're just they're constantly sitting here with this card that's waiting for the, one of their units to die, and you only have so many, op- or so many chances to trigger that. So if you can shut off tactics cards enough times, you can really screw up their plan and what you know what's going on in their hands. But uh, as far as, like, the rest of Roderick, and almost all my Roderick lists, um, I would say in general, my list always consists of Catelyn. And Sansa, Sansa's kind of a, if I have the extra point, otherwise I kind of like Eddard. But with Roderick, because of martial superiority, I almost always auto-include Sansa because of how strong that card is. Um, just the ability to either use it three times or use it when the game could go ugly for you, but the using it right then and there will kind of tip the scale and, you know, back in your favor. Um, so I would say for Roderick, yeah, Sansa's like almost an auto-include. Um, and now that with the marked target, uh, it definitely makes triggering his cards that much easier. But my absolute favorite thing to do with Roderick now is stick him in Stark Bowman. Uh, the ability to uh, shoot, uh, activate, make someone vulnerable, then shoot them with the eight dice hitting on threes. And if you're putting Roderick in there, then you're getting re-rolls. So eight dice with re-rolls. And then now with their amazing new ability, if they fail a panic, you're going to shut off their orders. It just uh, orders and um, uh, make them weakened. You're really making someone uh, which we call it, vulnerable and you're providing a lot of support to a very aggressive army. Um, it's very- and so Roderick is definitely, yeah, and Roderick is definitely now a top contender with all the Stark commanders. Um, I would say Roderick was definitely the weak link and now he is probably in the top three for me for uh, out of all the Stark commanders. Um so yeah, I, 
I am so glad that they uh, decided to, you know, fix, I would I wouldn't necessarily fix him, but give him that little boost that he needed to really make him desirable. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I think it's important. Like I said, I I would agree with you, especially the last part that he was not uh, the best uh, commander. You you know, he's one of those commanders that you kind of just pull out when you're kind of like testing things or for fun. And um, definitely with the changes, he's definitely more of a competitive commander. And um, and I think that's good. I mean, I think I don't think that you know I I would like to see a point where there's like there isn't really a commander. You know where that that's kind of like oh I only use them for fun. You know I kind of I would it's kind of cool to see like uh, you know a, a big mix of different commanders that are all very viable just depending on your play style. Um, you know I I I think uh, I think it's important for for the game and so it's it's a good change they made and um, and I think he's definitely someone that you'll be seeing at Adepticon, uh, especially because like we said before already, he's a huge counter to uh, Baratheons. Uh, not only their tactic stack, but even things like the Stagnites. Uh, he's a huge counter for them, just with Martian superiority. Uh, you know, possibly three times with Sanjay. So. Yep, and uh, if you want to, sorry, I was just going to add that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. He definitely is uh, his. Martial superiority kind of goes back with that stark control, and if you want more of a control list, him or Tully would be good. Yep, I can definitely vouch that him and longbows are, or now longbow stark bows are, is awful for not not the stark player. It's awful for the other person, me. Yeah. Um, what was the? And then we have. Uh, Next, we're going to talk about uh, Eddard aggression. Um, so I don't know, yep. Brad, you want to give an explanation of that really quick? Yep, absolutely. Um, so Eddard aggression is. Um, I mean, if you look at his cards, um, lead by example. Uh, Eddard gets must activate first. Eddard must activate. His melee attacks roll plus two attack dice. Immediately after, another unit may activate their melee attacks roll plus two attack dice. So it's kind of like the, um, what is it, the gang up, I think is the ability, or some, something like that that the free folk have with the raid leader. But anyway, yep. this is Starks doing it, and they get two more attack dice, which is obviously exactly what they need. Um, so that's a beta, or that's an alpha striking card. You're going to get the ball rolling. You're going to charge in there. And each of those two units are going to have plus two attack dice. Tully Cavaliers come to mind. They would love to have 11 attack dice. And yeah, whatever. Just a little extra. Immediately. Just a little extra. Why not? <laughs> they just they need it. They in. need it. Immediately after Eddard charges you. So presumably, you're alpha striking and you're pinning two units in that have been charged and probably hurt very badly by start cards. The next card, Fury for the Fallen. Um, this is another opportunity for Eddard to attack. Uh, when a friendly unit is attacked that doesn't contain Eddard Stark, Eddard may pivot first and then make a free attack action or a charge action. So it's just another easy way for Eddard to attack. If the unit was killed, uh, you gain critical blow. So that's pretty disgusting. And then um, Northern Defiance, if 
uh, you automatically pass a panic test. If it targets Eddard's unit, then he gets to make a free attack. So that's really three super aggressive, really nasty cards. The downside to it being two of those cards require Eddard to be alive. One of them gets its bonus from Eddard being alive. So you bring Eddard, you're just basically coming to punch in the face and continue to punch in the face and continue to punch in the face. Um, Eddard is right there with Great John Umber and Gregor the Mountain as the most aggressive commanders that you can possibly bring. Um, Eddard in his Honor Guard is a solid unit. Uh, it'll be a little bit harder to trigger Northern Defiance because they're fearless, but since you can't um, proc Weirwood Trees if you're playing Random Terrain, which I think everybody should play Random Terrain, just as a side note. I think every big tournament is going to use the random terrain table, so I think everybody should do it. But having said that, if you don't have a weir- if you do have the weirwood tree there, it's harder to proc that card. But um, it's just yeah, it's just nasty. Um, and anything now in this meta with the D three plus one panic, anything that makes you automatically pass a panic check is most welcome in any faction. So I just see Eddard as this super aggressive commander that if you don't kill him. Uh, his cards can just get completely out of control and you can be overwhelmed with the number of free attacks and charges that his unit can get in addition to the Stark deck. It's, it can get pretty nasty, but it does have obviously that glaring weakness. If you go kill Eddard right now and, and take care of him straight away, that deck dies. I did play an Eddard Stark list at Gen Con, and at the time the only thing that we really had that shut units down outside of uh, Roos Bolton was Tywin. And I immediately Tywin Eddard's Honor Guard, and I wiped them out in one shot with Gregor's Mountain's Men, and then his entire army collapsed at that point, basically, because now four of his cards are dead. So he does have a huge downside. Huge downside. You kill Eddard, you waste four cards, and the central focal point of their army. But he's very high risk, high reward, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean... Definitely, he is exactly. What you said high risk, high reward. I mean, I've I've played, I've used Eddard, I've played against Eddard, and most Eddard games <laughs> they usually go one way or the other, right? It's either going to be, you know, Eddard, the person playing Eddard, Eddard survives, and they they do really well. I mean, they're they're out there killing it, or it usually goes that Eddard gets killed somehow, and the whole list falls into shambles almost. Um, and it's a big reason is because a lot of his cards revolve around him being alive. So, uh, you know, anyone playing against Eddard, you know, obviously the goal is to take out his unit. Um, and, uh, even with things now, we, I'm, I'm sure we'll see things like, uh, you know, with, with Jack and uh, being in there, um, that'd be something to help, uh, eliminate Eddard. Um, which is a big, it's probably the biggest deal that I could think of at least probably the most, the biggest deal. Um, you know, again, again, this is a Stark versus Stark list, obviously, but uh, scenario. But um, that's probably the biggest deal is like losing losing Eddard. I mean, it's it's hard to keep the momentum of of the lists going uh, without him. You know, um, and even just his unit in general. I mean, his unit's a powerhouse on the table, but when it gets taken out, I mean, it's a uh, it's you know you, you lost part of the hammer of your army. So um, exactly what you said. You know, I'm mean, anyone playing uh, Eddard. You obviously keep him alive. Playing against him, he's got to be a target. Otherwise, you're easily going to fall behind. 
Um, he's definitely a tough commander, and he's he's been a pretty competitive commander from from the get go. I think so. Yeah, Eddard used to be my favorite uh, of any commander for a long time. You know, I I thought he wasn't like super competitive uh, back like when the for, uh, game first dropped, and so yep. you know I was just like I don't care. I just I like the way he plays, and I like his cards. Found some pretty cool combos with uh, you know his. Uh, I always forget the names of his different cards, but the lead by example, I believe. So, I believe uh, it was you play lead by example. You activate you activate someone else, uh, and then you can winter is coming after your wolf dies. And Sansa the lead by uh, and take off the Eddard's activation, and then Sansa lead by example, lead by example him, and then another unit go. And that little combo there could usually mean the difference of like it could turn the entire game, but. Uh, for those that you know, might have a tough time against him, consider in like your second list running Walder, running Jackin NCU. Uh, if you're a Stark player, run Jackin Attachment because uh, if they have Eddard in that unit uh, or in like uh, a Great Axe or a uh, his Honor Guard, you can throw Jackin Attachment in one of their other big hitters. So now, you know, it goes back to that, are they going to throw that unit at you? Because um, if they do, you can take out one of their NCUs. If they don't, you know, a lot of Eddard lists only have four actual combat units and some wolves. You know, they, they're not going to want to throw Eddard up at you, uh, you know, without some backup. But if that backup, one of the backups, it has Jackin in it, you know, they're not going to want to do that either, especially if you if you choose both of the units on the same side of the table. You know, if Eddard's like one of the two middle units of the four, and then you choose the unit to, on it on their uh, flank, you could just kind of divide and conquer over on that left left or right flank, whatever side they happen to be on, and deal with them that way. Um, Roos uh, commander, remember, you know, unless you're free folk, you can run Roos. Um, you might have to, so, you know, put some support with like panics in there um, and uh, uh, you'll be able to shut down the unit that way too Eddard's honor guard cannot be targeted by that Ruth card because they can never gain that panic token just for the Truth. record you have to expend the panic token well, that's, why you, that's why you walter him first and then you just double turn him off <laughs> double just, turn him off let's waste reason. this card <laughs> but Dave wolves are worth a you point if you alter him, you can put a panic token on him, and then you can expend that panic token later. He can never gain a panic token, but if he's got one on him, it doesn't automatically get removed. So there, there is validity to that. You alter him one round, throw a panic token on him, then roost him the next round. So that would work. Yeah, because yeah, uh, uh, fearless only prevents the placing of the panic, not using a panic. Uh, I believe uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so if you can turn them off, place the panic on them, and then their ability turns back on, they'll still have the panic on them for a roost to then um, uh, turn them off again. Expend it to turn them off and deal D3 wounds if it's within short range. Yep. But uh, we're going to move on to our last of our main topics because uh, we're running a little short on time. Uh, it's Rob's Mobility. Um, Rob, I think, is a perfect 
uh, commander now that uh, you have not only the new, uh, well, the newest unit for Starks, uh, the Tully Cavaliers, which are amazing with Rob, but now with the Outriders buff, Outriders are so amazing with Rob as well. Um, uh, don't forget uh, Kranigman Warden or Kranigman uh, Trackers with Rob. You know, just that free retreat with them even, and then getting to shoot, and then uh, charge back in if you needed to. Rob has so many tools now. It's it's just nice to see because I I always felt that Rob was kind of in the limbo as well as like Roderick was. Like he had so much potential, but he just didn't have enough units that really synergized like really well with him. So I'm definitely glad that he's gotten all these tools to work with. And he's definitely now up there as one of my favorite commanders. Uh, Cause he adds the element like this, you know, Starks have mobility and, you know, attack like offense, but Rob really just, you know, pushes their mobility to like 11 and, and then some, Boy, it really seems like all the Stark Commanders are everybody's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> weird weird coincidence we got going on here. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're all good. I mean, they definitely, uh, you know, they're all the ones that were kind of like iffy, at least in my opinion, are now, you know, with the addition to the new units and or the changes, like with Roderick, I feel like now there's no bad option for, for Starks. Some are clearly better than others, but not so much that, you know, it's a an easy choice to pick one over the other. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh I think Rob I mean Rob is always one of my favorite commanders. Uh, uh not not to not to uh you know, annoy Justin or anything. Um but you know, he's always been up there for me just because uh, I'm being a little biased, but he's one of my favorite characters in the show. I mean, I I love I love Rob, but uh, apart well, for from the that, first you know, couple I'm, seasons. Yeah, I mean, he, I was he was my guy. I was rooting for him, you know. Spoilers, but <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I I don't know. I um I've always liked him. I've always liked the mobility. I mean, he he plays really well on um on what the Starks do. I mean, they hit hard, they're aggressive, they're fast. I mean, with the exclusion of Tully's, they're fast. Um, and especially when the game, you know, when the game first came out, he was, he was uh, definitely my go-to, but even now more so with the Tully Cavaliers, uh, the change that, like you said, the change of the Outriders, I mean, that just all plays on his cards. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with Rob is that card where I can't think of the name right now, it's escaping me, but the card where if they charge you, you can, uh, if you're targeting Rob's unit, you can move back three inches um the card superior positioning superior positioning that's what it is yeah it's one of those cards that you know again your opponent doesn't see coming and it really throws a wrench um i would say it's it's really similar effect as far as throwing a wrench and it's it's similar to uh separate charge like it's really don't see it coming and it can really screw a lot of things up um it's probably my favorite card that he brings to the table uh, I'm not saying the other ones aren't good. I mean, definitely. I, I, I mean, I make use of all of his cards, tactical regroup, and uh, the other one is uh, hit and run too. I mean, they're both. All three of them are great, but that's probably my favorite one. Um, just so, just so, I mean, especially when they're targeting Rob. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, he's just he's just a, he's a great commander, and um, I think he's someone that you know we'll see at Decepticon. Um, I mean, as far as uh, as far as counters go, um, 
I mean, I guess a counter would be um, anything that is really, uh, I don't know, I, I want to say like tanky, I guess, that could work. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really know of a direct counter for for Rob, though. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, something to shut off his attachment because that disordered charge is really, really nasty. Um, it's an order, so once per round, he automatically triggers a, a charge to be disordered if it's within 12 inches of him. Um, outside of that, you've really got to try to pin him down and uh, just be aware of the cards that he has. Um, yeah, but there's. I mean, really, I know I mean, with like, of with like the old canceling cards, there's not there's not a whole lot you can do. He's gonna he's gonna get some of those cards off no matter what you do. Tactical regroup, hit yeah. and run, something. They're they're gonna go off. I know, like, it, you know, with the old with the old rules, when you were picking, I guess it's still not old rules, but, I mean, with, with, when they didn't have the rule of random terrain, I know if you're versing a Rob list, you know, you want to throw things like bogs and course piles. So that, that would slow them down and kind of mess things up. But now with random terrain kind of, you know, being really active in the competitive scenes and stuff, uh, I mean, it's, like I said, you, you know, uh, like you said, I guess you, like you said, pin them down or, you know, if you're doing some some Lannister uh, shenanigans to shut things off, but other than that, I don't think he has like like I said, a direct counter, which is kind of cool. So yeah. Um, so while we're on the topic of Rob, uh, I'm going to jump into one of my two lists that I'm uh, probably going to bring to Adepticon. Uh, thing it might change, you know. Adepticon's like what three or four months away, something like that. So it definitely could change. Um, so, first off, we have uh, some great axes with Rob, uh, great axes with Brandon Hodor, Outriders, Tully Cavaliers. Uh, obviously, we'll get uh, Greywind and Summer for free. Um, and then Catelyn and Eddard as the NCUs. So, it is, let's see, eight activations. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I wish great axes weren't so good um, because that, that is why I have two of them in there. I would much rather one great axe, one berserker, but because I have outriders and cavaliers in there, I figure I have enough speed that I could swap out the berserkers for another great axe for more, you know, harder hitting rather than uh, speed. Um, and, uh, it just it gives me plenty of options to for Rob's cards to uh, really uh, you know for outriders and totally cavaliers to benefit from them or even the superior positioning for the great axes because um, you're probably not going to want to use uh, is it hit and run the where you get to make a free retreat when you activate you're probably not going to use those on great axes. Or or would you get the great axes? Because uh, does it start a turn? Yeah, for, uh, it's tactical ability? regroup. So there's a huge advantage actually to using tactical regroup on great axes because presumably, so let's just say you've got the unit is down to uh, seven or eight guys. Tactical regroup first, you heal D3 wounds. Now they're back up to having their eight attacks. Then you can charge back in. Assuming you charge the same defender, they will hit on twos with no saves. So eight attacks, okay, wow. and rerolls, you're almost guaranteed to hit all eight times. So that card, I actually used to play it under the old Great Axe rule because it didn't stipulate attacking the same defender. So I would retreat from one defender, 
turn around and charge another one and not offer them armor saves. But that's not wow. – you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. You can absolutely retreat and charge a different defender if you want to pin them down. But if you want the plus one to hit and no armor saves, you've got to go back into the same one that you started the turn engaged with. Yeah, so Rob will definitely give that uh, mobility and the little tricks to the the great axes. Um, I have Cavaliers and Outriders because um, I feel like you can put both of them on the flanks and you're going to get the benefits of one of them. And the nice thing is the Tully Cavaliers don't have to get a flank charge. Um, where And if you put them both on the same side, you could definitely uh, tie, you know, with their three-up save and their... Uh, their morale bubble. Um, you could definitely tie someone up, hit them really hard, um, and then come in from the flank with the outriders and then get that flank charge for those bonuses that they give, um, giving you the ability to then retreat with your cavaliers. Uh, you have your wolves to tie things up or just kind of sit back, objectives. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of iffy about four units, um, but I mean, my main lists are almost always four units. Uh, that's what I took second at Adepticon with. Brett took first at uh, Gen Con with a four-unit list. Uh, so definitely don't be scared to play with only four units, um, especially with the Wolves will help with the activation. But even Brett's list, I believe, what, you had six activations. So, six, you know. Six total, yep, because I'm crazy. Yeah, so don't. Don't ever be scared to run low activations and or low unit counts. It You just have to be a little more uh, reserved and really hit them where it counts because if you can get one really good attack off and kill one unit before you've really taken any damage, you've now pretty much even the odds because a lot of lists will have five combat units and now you're at the same amount if you killed one and yours are probably better. Um, so just keep that in mind, uh, and you'll definitely be able to capitalize on, um, you know, lower lower activations and lower unit counts in your opponent. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough to pull off, uh, you know, having less activations. Um, it's rewarding but tough. Uh, that's I I have a hard time with it personally. Um, that's why I actually I used to play Night's Watch for a little bit. I gave them a shot and uh, I, I found them difficult because I was like always out activated. Um, so I don't handle that well, but I know people who do. I mean, like you said, I mean if they can if they if I verse a four a four activation list uh, for a four unit list I should say not activation sorry a four unit list and yeah you said they take out one of my units. Um, I, I'm always, I mean, I'm always little, little, little bit panicked, right? Like because, like you said, they're 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 usually stronger, and you know, you're also feeling a little bit frustrated because you had more units and you shouldn't have, <laughs> that shouldn't have happened, but it has happened before. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I would agree with you. I mean, don't don't be afraid. I mean, anyone who wants to try it out, don't be afraid. Um, it just it just it's just a little less room for mistakes. And uh, a little more, a little more planning ahead. Um, and and if and I would say until you're more familiar with the game, um, definitely I would recommend staying with five units uh, until you really learn your army, learn the ins and outs of everything, and and can really plan those steps ahead with your army to be able to run, you know, less activations and and be okay and pull ahead. 
So. Yeah, it's definitely four units is not an easy thing. It's not the hardest thing in the world. So yeah, it's just one of those things like uh, Jose said, you want to kind of get a little comfortable with your army. And once you feel like you are just, you know, take, you know, make a list that you normally would with maybe five units, take the weak link out of it. So if like you had like a stark list with a, a sworn sword in there to make the fifth unit, take it out and then use those five points to buff up the other four and, or add, uh, you know, more points to your NCUs or whatever you feel like you want to do and then go from there and do a bunch of play testing. Um, it just, it comes down to how you play it. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump into, cause, uh, we're a little over time, but we're going to try to jump through this. Uh, my second list, uh, which this is actually my main list this is my, this is a variation of my list from Adepticon with just factoring, you know, the, uh, the differences in, you know, unit stats and the change to the, you know, 1.5. But um, we have Great Axes with Brandon Tully, Great Axes with Brandon Hodor, uh, Umber Berserkers with Rickon and Osha, Umber Berserkers with Sworn Sword Captain, uh, Summer, Shaggy Dog, Catelyn, and Eddard NCU. So, um, again, it has eight activations, so you're at the... Um, average activations, with the exception of free folk, is usually seven to eight. So you're on the higher end of the average with this. Um, granted, two of them are uh, um, your wolves, but you still have, like I said, the four combat units, and they're all you know tough as nails. They're all umber units, two berserker, two great axe. Um, you got Osha with the go down fighting and one berserker. You have the sworn sword captain to give the uh, vulnerable and the other berserker. Um, which another option for that is to take the umber champion. Definitely a very good option now with uh, the change to panic because it gives you vicious. It's just my play style that I don't have it because I don't like leaving things up to chance. And what I mean by that is because I'm going to be taking D3 wounds to myself uh, every time I attack. And, you know, average says two, but because it's a dice game, you could be rolling three, 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 and I just don't like leaving it up to chance. But it's definitely a good option, and I do not blame anyone for taking it. It's just a personal play style that I choose the captain. Um, then you have the Great Axes, which Brandon Hodor, you're going to be seeing that a lot. Um, it's it's probably going to be a staple in almost every Stark list you see. Uh, and then Brendan Tully with Great Axes. Uh, this is my staple anytime I run Brendan Tully with, uh, as commander because that plus two to morale, making him a four-up morale like the Berserkers, and the ability to heal every time they're passing that four-up morale just makes their four-up save seem that much better. And... Combined with Brandon Tully's cards, you know, we've already kind of talked about the Tully's Valor um, and the set for charge. You're really going to make these guys survivable and stay at their full ranks. And that's uh, also why we have Eddard Stark uh, NCU. Uh, anytime you pass those morales, you're going to be healing back up. You know, they charge into you, or even let's say you charge into them, you know, with Northern Ferocity, eight dice, hitting on threes with re-rolls, sundering. You're going to do a lot of damage. Uh, they're going to try to hit you back. You're going to heal up, and then you're going to finish them off, more than likely, unless they have some, some way to heal more than, you know, outside of the uh, wealth zone. Um, and then uh, Catelyn. 
Catlin's uh, a staple for me in any tournament list. Her ability to heal a token, to take away a token, is the main reason I take her. There's too many lists out there that are token-focused that really rely on throwing these tokens everywhere that she is just too good for that reason. And then also with the Great Axes, her other uh, ability that most people see as the main ability to hit at max dice, it, for me, is just icing on the cake. Uh, and you're, even if you can't heal back up to that full, Catelyn's going to be able to make sure those Great Axes are hitting you with eight dice, hitting on twos uh, with no saves. It's going to... It's just going to be nasty. Um, so before we go on to the last part of it, uh, I'm going to let a couple of you guys uh, kind of talk about the list. Uh, what do you guys think? I think they're they're both pretty solid lists. Um, there's obviously some things that are going to be a pretty hard um, counter to what you've got, but sometimes you run into a paper, rock, scissors situation. But I, I know you, Dave, so you're going to, you're going to make ends meet. Um, it feels pretty competitive. Um, I'm sure you're incredibly grateful for the reduction in Rickon and Osha and the reduction to Bran and Hodor because now you can bring your four-point NCUs and squeeze all of those <laughs> units in. Um, yep. So, yeah, it seems seems really strong. Um, I generally like the list, and, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're going for. Uh, so we're going to go on to the last topic here, and this one's going to be a little more controversial, but I promise it will not be a dog pile. Um, just kind of give some honest thoughts about uh, kind of Starks and their state and, you know, how powerful or not powerful they are. Uh, and, you know, this is not a dig at any creator or person out there. Um, I think Simon does an amazing job with this game. And it's it's never, you know, nothing's going to ever be perfect. And I feel like even with the state of Starks right now, you know, things can always change. You know, it, nothing is set in stone. Uh, they have the power to do whatever they see, you know, see fit and whatever they see as the best. And I know they love this game more than any of us. And, you know, they want to see it uh prosper uh so they i know that uh anything they do is you know done with love and done with you know you know they want to see this game succeed so uh we're going to talk about kind of the power level of starks um and i'll start us off i think i think they're a little too powerful right now um and starks is my favorite army right now uh and probably will be um until Martell's come out. Uh, I really Ooh. think it just comes down to a couple things. Uh, I really think it's just great axes are too powerful. And uh, Brandon Hodor, I think, should still be three points. I like Rickon at one point. Um, then again, I would still rather them all go back to their original point costs and just make Wolves ins insignificant. There's enough things out there right now let alone what's probably come to come in the future to turn off insignificant and just give them a point that way. Um, and great axes, I think an easy fix would just be take away that plus one to hit, uh, you know, so that way they're still hitting on threes with no saves at that attack profile. But as they are right now, 
they're so strong, and then you put an Umber Champion in them or Brandon Hodor, and they just become ridiculous, especially with the healing power that, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. Tully, a Tully list with Eddard in it is really close to the healing power of Night's Watch. It's not exactly there. Like, Night's Watch with uh, John, it's close, but it's not there, but it's really close. Sorry, I said it's not close, but it is, it's, it's really close. It's not as good as John uh, Night's Watch healing, but you factor that, and you're going to be able to hit with a ton of dice. A funny list I made uh, that would probably do terrible, or I wouldn't say terrible, but it wouldn't be something I would seriously take. You could take Holland, one NCU, and then you take five Great Axes, all with Umber Champions, and then on the chance you get Fire and Blood, and they have to mark one of those units, and you have 12 dice hitting on twos, no saves, with Vicious. I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what do you guys think? We'll, uh, we'll start off with uh, Justin. We're talking about... <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> We're talking about Great Axes, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, just or just anything, I guess, right? So, yeah. and in regards to Great Axes, obviously we all know they're really powerful. One thing I really don't understand, like, maybe it's because they needed to keep up with the Starks and all-around Starks are really fast, but as if they weren't good enough, they had to give them plus one movement. Like, movement's a really big deal in this game. Um, yeah. The Starks, the thing I struggle with, like, it's always an uphill battle when I fight them, especially in my last two games, which were just awful. There was... It was it was a bad time, but uh, it's it's just a crazy uphill battle no matter what you do. Like every both of the factions I play, which it's kind of my fault for playing those factions, but uh, I don't feel like without luck on my side I can realistically win. Like on paper, it's it's insane. Each unit seems to do more. Obviously, each faction plays different cards come to a big factor, but. I have really bad luck, so I can't rely on that to win. <laughs> uh, it it hurts me. And Tully Sworn Shields, I'm really glad they got that point reduction. Uh, I think they're really strong, but I really like the unit, like, aesthetically. So I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> yeah, but, I um, – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dustin. Oh, and then I was just going to quickly mention Outriders. That is so much more powerful than I thought it would be. I hate those – horsemen but they're <laughs> they needed it for sure because they were very mediocre but everything got like more it all got buffed but it all got like one extra little push past the point it needed <laughs> that's uh, how I yeah, feel. yeah I, I i think so too man i i i think you actually probably said it best everything got pushed just slightly too far um you know, in regards to, you know, great axes. Uh, so I, last time I played them was actually against Dave. And I was playing day. Baratheon. Yeah, I was playing Baratheon. And, you know, they're they're an army that's supposed to be like, you know, when they get charged, they, they dish it back hard, right? And uh, I had a, a difficult time, like, dealing with the great axes. I was like, man, I don't even want to charge these things. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, because with Baratheons, I wasn't gonna kill, I wasn't gonna one shot them. I wasn't gonna kill them. And then I just I'm like, man, you know. And I and then my my three up save on the warden or whatever I had just doesn't even matter because there's no save. So it was just it was really rough. Um, definitely, they're probably 
a, like a top tier Stark unit. I mean, they were before, but they're even more now. And like you said, I think they just kind of pushed it a little too far. Uh, the one extra movement kind of was that extra push, I think, even. Um, and in regards to Outriders, um, I think uh, I would agree that uh, that they were they were a little mediocre. Um, but like you said, but uh, but man, that 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 buff they gave them, it's, uh, I like it. I think it's good. I may, I think it makes them more of a viable player. Um, I don't. I mean. <sighs> I, I played against them and with them, and uh, I, I like you said, I was I was pretty shocked too with it with that change that they made and how how much of an impact it'd be um, with the Outriders. Uh, I didn't I didn't think it'd be that big of a deal, but it ended up being a pretty big deal. Um, in regards to Wolves and everybody, um, oh, I, I forgot think... Wolves. <laughs> Uh, well, with Wolves, I think Rickon, um, he's fine the way he is. That was perfect. Uh, being him being his point value now uh, is totally worth it. I think before he was like always super questionable taking. Like I had a hard time like justifying taking him. Um, you know, now now he's totally worth it. Uh, Brandon Hodor, I think they should have stayed at three points. I think they're I think they're too good for two points. Um, like. I mean, they were always good, but they're just, like, amazing now at two points. You can squeeze them in for two points. That's crazy uh, with everything they bring to the table. Um, Rob, I mean, he, I, don't, I don't think he'd change. He's the same as three points. Everything was going around. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I do think, and like, like, like Dave said, the, the way the Starks are, they're a little, a little overpowered. Um, I don't think that they're – not manageable per se. I don't feel that any army in this game is not manageable to go up against. Um, I I just think they're a little on the um, little on the on the powerful side, uh, at least at least right now. But you know, there's always constant changes, constant. Um, they're always trying to balance things out. So you know, that is what it is right now. Um, you know, who knows what it'll be when they do the next next update may, you know, they may reevaluate or, or, or not, you know, I, I don't know, but that's just my, my thoughts on it. Um, I guess I'm going to be a little bit of the devil's advocate. I, I uh, definitely don't think they're super overpowered. They still have some glaring weaknesses. Now I will say a Stark player with a perfect starting hand or a, a great hand of cards, it's, Beyond an uphill struggle. If they don't, if they don't have to seek Sansa to pull that perfect combo, um, my buddy John in Indy had literally the perfect hand, and he just absolutely decimated my Night's Watch. Uh, the game before this last game, I played him. He had sudden charge, hit and run, and winner is coming as his initial card draw. I just, I mean, what do you do? He sudden charge <laughs> into my into my played men. Played winner is coming. So I couldn't block D3 hits or any other cards that I had. And then he uh, played hit and run, and he was going first the next turn. So I ate two totally cab charges to the face. That sucks. It happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, a perfect Tyrion hand is going to do the same thing. If you've got Cunning Cloy in hand immediately, and you've got your hammer unit just ready to go off, um, maybe you've got Counterplot in your hand, it Basically, what I'm saying is it can happen with any faction. It just seems really powerful with Starks because they have Sansa. Uh, as a counterpoint to that, I think some people spend Sansa's order way too early. 
and that's really a relief for me. If they spend Sansa in round one, I don't have to worry about them pulling a crazy good card later on in the game. They're definitely beatable. Um, Brandon Hodor does make me scratch my head a little bit at, at two points. Um, I think they're definitely incredible. They've got, obviously, infinite um, offensive potential with D3 automatic hits. They're probably going in a heavy hitter like Great Axes or Berserkers. But for me, what, what really kills me trying to fight them is the disordered charge. Because if they're Great Axes, you want them blown off the table. Um, presumably, you're going to charge them. Uh, the charge is going to be disordered, and then you're stuck engaged with them where they're going to get their plus one to hit and no armor saves. You have to kind of work around that. I found that making great axes charge you is about the best way to go, um, but they can always sudden charge you, and then they have it activated, then they pop you. Um, at some point, you're just going to have to retreat from great axes. It's really unfortunate, but without Mighty Cleave, it's better to eat a charge than to just stand there and get and get smoked. Um I don't think it's so much that they're overpowered. I think that uh, when the when the rules team went through House Stark, they just literally they fixed everything. Everything that wasn't good is now good. So if anything, Starks suffer from way too many good choices, and so maybe by virtue of the fact that everything is viable, they feel a little bit overpowered. Um, I think Lannister is in the same spot as Stark. Uh, they are incredibly powerful. They got some really nice bonuses as well. So I would expect that Free Folk, Night's Watch, um, maybe at some point Neutrals. I, I don't know, Justin, you might be screwed. But I, they're, I they're gonna re- so. <laughs> they're going to rework those guys, and uh, they're going to they're gonna do what they did for the Starks, where everything is good, everything is viable, every commander is good. Everything has a place. It's just up to you to pick the style. Um, and I think Starks are perfect. They're just perfectly balanced. And depending on what faction you play, maybe you don't have an answer necessarily. I think Lannisters can still get a leg up over Starks. So, um, you know, it started with Starks and Lannisters. And so they're currently probably the two most powerful, but I don't think they're overwhelmingly the most powerful. I think that's the best way to explain it, definitely. They started with the yeah. first two, and they're just getting everything up to a more or less level playing field in the armies, and then they'll go through the next wave, which Michael Chanel, I believe, already kind of said that. Um, yep. That uh, Night Watcher Free Folk will come next. Um, but I, I think yeah. I think everybody should be encouraged with, you just look at the Stark army and the Lannister army, and you think to yourself, what's a bad choice? who's a bad commander. And the fact that you pull up nothing should encourage the free folk, the Night's Watch, the neutral players, the Baratheon players. Maybe not them neutrals. (laughs) It'll be there at some point, Justin. All right, it's coming. No, I think the the Stormcrow Lieutenant is a a big... Oh, I think that's one of the most amazing attachments that come out. An army full of uh, vicious and thundering cutthroats Probably really nasty, man. Yeah, I'm maybe, not looking forward to buying like maybe, eight boxes. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's somebody. I am because I, I could use the money. Maybe maybe neutrals are going to get an SCU that always controls the money bag. You never know. Maybe that'd be pretty. Cute. I have I do actually have faith that it's going to work itself out with anything, especially with newer stuff coming out and things having to be balanced. Things are going to have to go through growing pains, and we're just going to have to deal with it until the time being. My larger point is I think people need to step back, take a deep breath. Maybe you can't play Starks exactly the way that you can play them. 
I, Indy has a lot of Stark players, so I've been playing against them a lot in 1.5. There are ways around it. Um, you play to the scenario instead of playing to table them. Sometimes that works out to your advantage. The other thing is if they're bringing the three dog lists, if they're bringing Brandon Hodor and they're bringing Rickon and Osha, the dogs are worth a victory point, and they're not super hard to kill. So if you focus down some of the dogs, jump up a couple victory points, I know particularly in Fire and Blood, I got my face smashed in by John Hurley, but by playing the scenario, I was able to beat him. He outkilled me by a mile, but I played the scenario, and I just kept marking and marking and marking this unit of great axes, and then once I killed them and jumped up ahead, I just retreated my army away from his nasty hitters. I pinned down his Tully Cavaliers, and I just held on until round six to win. Maybe that's what you have to do sometimes with Starks. There's no shame in it. It is a game. It's a game, and in that respect, you have to play it like it's a game. And even if it feels dirty, like, ooh, I'm just retreating from these guys and it feels dirty, you gotta you got to play to that scenario and you got to play to what's going to win you the game, what's going to get you more victory points than your opponent, even if that means killing two dogs and playing objectives the rest of the game, whatever it takes. And keeping in mind that Walter Frey, unless Varys or Intrigue and Subterfuge shuts him down, even if he doesn't strip their abilities, he does do a wound. So if you wait until the very end of your round when the money bags have been taken, you put a wound on a dog, then you take your very first activation, Walter Frey just killed that dog, and you got a victory point. So, I mean, I'm just saying, there's, there's ways to work around it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, I, 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 think you, I, I think people need to bring ranged. The best way to deal with great axes is going to be to rain arrows on them and then charge in. If you peel them for six, seven guys, and you can finish them off on a charge. So I think people in general need to give ranged attacks more of an opportunity. Give, give them a try. Put them on the table and try them. They're, they're quite good. Um, or attack like bastard girls because they don't have defense anyways. This is true. You can do that. Yeah, and I think free folk in general don't they don't care too much that great axes ignore armor. Um, yeah, it's barely a benefit. Have, they don't they don't really have armor, so <laughs> they've got expendable units that they can throw in there, and uh, you smack them enough times with raiders, and you'll eventually whittle their numbers down. So just again, yeah, they do only have a four up save. They do. You'll you'll wear them down eventually. Uh-huh. Blademen, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Bran and Hodor being able to disorder the charge, um, I think Flademen have a a good shot at one shotting a unit of great axes. I have regularly been able to one shot. Yeah, the new panic token coming with Flademen is incredibly powerful. So, if you've got them vulnerable and they take a full on charge from Flademen, they're probably dead. Especially if you use so, them like Ramsey and you give them our blazer sharp. I mean, I've exactly uh, I've often been able to one shot sworn swords and their offensive value is the same uh, without any buffs. So there's hope. It's not the end of the world. And remember, if you force Hodor to call that disordered charge very early in the game, he can no longer benefit from those extra D3 hits. So there's a strategy to getting him to call his order early too. So if you can get him to call that order and then retreat from him, he's become just kind of a vanilla attachment in a unit that has a wolf. You know, he spends all of his uh, skin changing by calling that order. So that's something to keep in mind as well. It's not the end of the world. It'll be fine. Just adapt and play. 
That's all I did. All right. So I'm going to end it with just kind of rehashing. Um, so really, Starks, I would say, are a little overpowered, but not like so much that it's if you face them, you have no chance in the world. They're just it's just a couple units, um, and with a couple small fixes, I think they'd go right back into you know being right in line with everyone else. And uh, it's really, in my opinion, just the great axes, um, Brandon Hodor, uh, and that's just really about it. Uh, you fix those two things, and they're going to you know be right on par with everything else. Um, but for those, you know, in the meantime, for those that want to, uh, you know, have a chance to kind of screw up the the plans of the Starks, Walder Frey is, I think, the perfect uh, option. You know, shut off the Great Axes, shut off the Tully Cavaliers, um, do a wound to the to the Wolves, and you know, that right there is a big portion of what makes Starks so great. You know, Tully Cavaliers, Great Axes, Wolves. Um, that one NCU will give you the option to do any of those things. Um, especially if all you do all game, if they have a three-wolf list, is six turns of Walder Frey to do six wounds to those three wolves. If they don't heal them, that's three victory points. I'd say that would be a, a good five points spent for three victory points. Um, but so, you know, for those out there, don't worry. There's plenty of answers for Starks, and they're not so overpowered that you're not going to have any chance. Um, and you never know what's going to come out until then or what might change till then. Uh, like I said, I think Adepticon is in end of March, um, so you're looking at, uh, like, almost three full months away. Uh, so anything can happen. Um, so that kind of concludes this show. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the talk. Um, make sure you follow the page, uh, give it a like, share, share out to whoever you can, wherever you can. Um, the more, uh, we get, uh, people listening in and sharing the video, the more we'll be able to, you know, the more people will be able to reach. Um, we're going to try to start doing more, uh, giveaways, um, probably uh, going to be posting soon of a giveaway that we're going to be doing probably when we hit a certain amount of likes on the page. Um, it could be 150. I think we're already at close to 100. Um, but uh, it'll probably be like a unit box of some kind. Uh, but yeah, just keep an eye out. Give our page a like. Um, share it out. Uh, and yeah, we uh, we have a show every Tuesday, 8 uh, p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, you can always listen, to, and it's live, and you can always listen to the recording after the fact, uh, either on the Blog Talk Radio site, or uh, we're going to be looking into adding it to some sort of a podcast site. Uh, we're still looking into, like, the best one to uh, download all the um, the recordings to, so that way uh, you have some options. Um, so, again, thank you for listening in. Um, if you guys have any uh you know, just find one of the um, the posts I made on any of the group pages. You know, list you know what you think uh, the best list you have for or against Starks. Um, maybe some of your ideas. Uh, we're gonna start uh, in the coming weeks, probably um, 
letting uh, callers on to kind of speak. Um, I have a way to screen. So if you're listening now, uh, I do have a way to screen callers. Uh, so, you know, if you're listening in uh, that way, um, I might start letting uh, maybe next week or the week after, you know, just letting you guys kind of give your thoughts. Uh, those that are listening after the fact, if you want to have that option too, uh, make sure to call in. That is a big reason why we're doing it live. So that way, you know, you can kind of give your two cents. You know, you can kind of be a part of the show with us, um, and we're not just, you know, some voices that you kind of listen to while painting, though that is an option as well. Um, you know, you can get your voice out there um, and, you know, kind of be a part of it. But, uh, again, thank you, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your night. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.